Welcome to the Valley Beit Midrash podcast, a program of Valley Beit Midrash, a global center of learning and action. We're bringing you the best in diverse, pluralistic Jewish wisdom, all with the goal of improving lives in our global community. I'm Rabbi Shmuley Yanklowitz. Let's get started. Shalom, shalom. Welcome. Thank you so much for joining us, all of you on Zoom and all of you here in the room. We are thrilled you are here. and Happy New Year. And by that, I don't just mean like 16 or 17 days ago. You can Jewishly say Happy New Year like all year. If the mission says four Jewish New Year's, one of them is actually coming up in a few weeks. So Happy New Year's to all of you. Thank you for being here for this important conversation. And I do mean conversation because we are going to um, have the chance to hear from our four esteemed panelists for a few minutes each. And then I'm going to ask them a few questions, a follow-up. And then all of you will have the chance to uh, to share as well. We will be managing the Zoom, uh, the questions that come through the Zoom as well for the for the dozens of folks on there as well. And we believe this to be a really important conversation, a really important conversation to have together around our divisions, around our unity, around um, our collaborations. Rabbi Jonathan Sachs wrote in his preface to the book, One People, Jewish unity, the phrase is deceptively simple. It is easier to invoke than to understand. And it is beset by irony. The idea that Jews are one people has emerged as a perhaps the dominant motif of post-Holocaust Jewish, Jewish reflection. It is a constant presence in the public rhetoric of contemporary Jewry. It evokes passion and conviction, but seldom clarity. Set against the reality it seeks to describe, it is an aspiration, not an achievement, a myth, perhaps, rather than a reality. Not since the first and second centuries CE have Jews been less united. Rarely has it been harder to state what constitutes them as one people. That in itself should not surprise us because demands for unity surface only at times of great internal conflict. But it should at least suggest this, that the obstacles that stand in the way of its realization deserve the most careful analysis. And that is our goal tonight, to look at the analysis of what gets in the way of, of unity. As we know, so much divides us as a community, such as our religious commitments, our political leanings, our financial competition, our physical distance, our different relationships to Israel, our different moral priorities, very different visions for a Jewish future, our food choices, and sometimes perhaps egos, and so much more. So should unity be a goal? Should unity be a goal? And can unity, if it is a goal, even be achieved? And if so, what should we do and what should we not do? So friends, tonight we have uh, four leaders that I assume all of you all know, since I can tell you're involved in the community. And I'll just, um, uh, with, I'm not gonna read bios, but just to state who they are in case of someone you don't know. We have our friend, Rish Kasper, who is the president and CEO of the Center for Jewish Philanthropy. We have Rabbi Pinchas Alush of Congregation Beth Tefillah, Orthodox Congregation. Rabbi Nitzan Steinkoken, who uh, from Bethel in Phoenix, uh, a conservative congregation, and Rabbi John Linder from Temple Solo, a form <laughs> congregation. And our um, and, and actually, Rich, tonight, Valley Beit Midrash is giving you rabbinic ordination uh, to be on this rabbinic panel. We have Rabbi Rich Casper here. <laughs> but he doesn't need a rabbinic title to be on this panel. 
So you're gonna have the chance uh, to hear from each of them for about five minutes. I'll let them know if they've gone significantly over by, uh, by significantly, I mean, 30 seconds. <laughs> and, um, and then we'll have the chance to move the conversation forward. So I think we'll maybe go in this order or something like this. So Rich, if you wanna come on. Welcome, Rich Casper. Hey, well, thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you all for coming tonight. Um, my opening got a lot shorter in the last minute because I can't say anything about Rabbi Sachs, who was on my list, and I can't make the jokes about being the only non-rabbi up here. That's how people But uh, but I have given a lot of thought to the topic, and uh, and I keep coming back really to the question: is is unity even something we should be striving for? Because I'm not. I think even under the best of circumstances, we're never going to get there. Doesn't mean we can't aim for it, um, but I think we have to reevaluate what unity looks like in order for that to be something achievable. And so, if I'm not going to go down the list of things that Shmuley just gave, where we are divided, whether it is politics or observance or food choices or any of those things, um, but because we're not going to agree on those things. That's the nature of being Jewish. It allows us a lot of freedom to live and practice our, you know, uh, our lives differently. But there's something fundamental underlying, I think, all of those issues, um, and that is our basic humanity. And so I, to me, in answering that question, every time I turned it over in my head, it kept coming back to that. So we may disagree, for example, about politics. Uh, we certainly do. I'm sure there are lots of different points of view here in the room. Uh, thank you for keeping them to yourselves. <laughs> but I think what we can agree on as Americans is that we believe in democracy, that we believe in the fundamental right for Americans to vote. Um, you know, Now, whether we think that certain people should be allowed to vote, comes back to whether they are qualified voters. But once we get past that question, I think we all agree on that. Um, when we look at things like immigration or the situation on our southern border, we're going to have a lot of different points of view. I don't think we're going to be unified in the big solutions to that situation. But we all agree that we're talking about human beings and human dignity and the right to be safe and and to have healthcare and those sorts of things. So I think that unity probably can come around those types of issues if we boil them down to the fundamentals. Um, that's that is my perspective on it. That's I think you know uh, when when I go to work at the Center for Jewish Philanthropy, we're not focused on trying to unify the community. We're trying to support the community. Mm -hmm. And I think underlying that is the same yeah. notion is that is those human values that we want everyone to have an opportunity to live a meaningful Jewish life in our community, however they define that. Um, and so I don't know if that's unity, uh, but but it it works for it works for me. Welcome up uh, please join me in welcoming Rabbi Nitzan Stankovic from Bethel. Thank you. Everybody hear me? Um, so first of all, I want to say thank you to the JCC who both are here tonight. Um, and, and that, whatever. Um, just the very concept of a Jewish community center, um, I think is 
part of where my thinking is heading towards on this question. Because if you remember, Morde, Rabbi Mordechai Kaplan, the founder of Reconstructionism, reintroduced this idea or the notion of Judaism as a civilization. And then he established this idea of a Jewish community that each Jewish community should have a center for Jewish cultural and political movement. And I think this is crucial, especially since we're three rabbis here and the representative of Jewish money um, or philanthropy. Um, uh, I think that the idea of the JCC um, is crucial if we want to talk about unity in diversity. Um, and because it has the potential of creating a space where everyone can come and be Jewish in their Jewish identity um, and find education, culture, life celebrations, even a little bit of religion, well-being, meeting points. So that like, in, uh, in the words of Dr. Ron Wolfson, who is sort of the, the speaker for relational Judaism, meaning open ourselves, drawing our circles wider and wider, here I quote, to foster relationships that will bring people into deep, lasting engagement with the Jewish experience. And I think that's crucial, especially after a pandemic that has made some of us complacent, some of us afraid, some of us, is it really important? We're in a sense, our Dor Yachnev, right? I see this recently, Dor Yachnev, what was that? That's the generation after the destruction of the temple. We have a unique chance to rebuild how we want our huge future to look like, to reevaluate what it, what we, where we are and to rebuild into something deeper. So one idea, speaking to Jewish teens, Phoenix, I'm the only one I think from, from over there, <laughs> from across the 51, he's on this panel. One of the teens I just spoke to and the, echoes also with an idea that I had said, yeah, what should we do about Jewish community? Maybe we could build another JCC, so it's not so far, because they're right now, often mm -hmm. of us, you have the Hebrew high school going on, right? And so this is one question or one challenge I see in our specific community in the Phoenix, bigger Phoenix area, we have new growing populations of people out west and north, for example, we have demographic shifts of young professionals moving closer to downtown. How would it look like to have some JCC satellites that are an open space, a neutral space, so to speak, and then bring programming there or connect people with each other? One example that works nicely in, along those lines is the PJ Library approached us at Bethel recently. They're going back into the synagogues to help synagogues build their program for young families. We've had great, two great um, events already at Bethel. People who are not connected to any other synagogue come and enjoy the young family program. You can make a connection. Another example of something similar would be our 
Beyond of collaboration that we have as conservative synagogues with Ortion and uh, TBS and Chandler, where we connect on these weekday holidays that so many people are busy. Those of us who have the time to pray and come together to worship, we, 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 we drive to each other's synagogues and we sort of split up the holidays of Passover, Sukkot, Shavuot, visiting each other for one of the days. So, you know, do we make the effort? Can we make the effort to meet uh, in different places, in different spaces, and especially the challenge for us here tonight, transformationals from Orthodox to maybe secular, wherever we are, you know, what can we create centers where we connect with people who are currently unaffiliated and give them widening the circle of Jewish engagement? And I guess my time is almost up. But one thing, can I add one thing? No, <laughs> um, um, or two, two points that I want to make. Um, one of these things, Doriachne and said, what did the rabbis do after destruction of the temple? They met in the big Midrash. Creating a community of lifelong Jewish learning, I think is one of the one of the places where we could unite upon, probably. Now, what does this look like? I think it should be diverse. I think it should be open to different approaches, be it secular Israeli poetry or, you know, religious learning or whatever in between. But so how can I have a strong, resilient Jewish identity if I just have rudimentary basic knowledge of Judaism, where in all other aspects of my adult being, I'm well-educated, have a college education, have a business education, have good medical knowledge, let's say, right? I know about politics. Think of how many people know sports in and out, right? Do you know the same amount of sports teams? Do you know that? All these different liturgical traditions, just, just to be a little bit devil's advocate. But in order to have a strong church identity for the next thousand years, I think we should invest in becoming a community and offering to be a place of Jewish learning. And under that aspect, one particular dream of mine is Hebrew language. I think it's crucial for Jewish people to know Hebrew. A, to engage with Israel and the modern state of Israel, no matter where I stand politically. B, I come from Europe. When we have a rabbi meeting somewhere in Europe, there's people from Russia, from Poland, from Sweden, from France, from, I don't know all these languages. We can talk with the, the default language changes to Hebrew and we all speak Hebrew and we can manage business. It's not just for the prayer, it's real business, right? So I think there's a part in, of the Jewish soul and the Jewish connectedness that when you have basic Hebrew knowledge, not just liturgical Hebrew knowledge, but basic Hebrew knowledge that you can engage and have an access, much deeper access, to a strong Jewish community and a possibility for engagement that might come to unity or to an educated and polite, respectful disagreement. Um, 
One of my dreams for this community is a Hebrew immersion program from preschool through 12th grade, because I saw my own children go into Hebrew immersion and it gave them a basis for Hebrew learning. And we do that with Spanish in so many, in so many public schools. Why not create an opportunity for children to be exposed to our language, to our home language, so to speak, um, and, and take it from there? I think I'll stop you. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you, Rabbi Shmuley, for putting this together. Indeed, thank you to the JCC for hosting us. So when we speak about Jewish unity, I think that before we even define the word unity, we have to define the word Jewish. What is Judaism? And there I suggest my beloved rabbis take on Judaism, Rabbi Einstein would say that Judaism is not a religion because if you're not religious, you're still Jewish. Judaism is not an ethnic group. We have Sephardic Jews, Ashkenazic Jews, Yemenite Jews, Ethiopian Jews. Judaism is not a culture. We have Jews from all sorts of cultures. Judaism is not a nationality. If you don't live in Israel, you're still Jewish. So what is Judaism? Judaism, he answered, is a family. We're all part of the same family. In the words of the Torah, Beit Yaakov lechuven elchan. The house, the home of Jacob, is how we are called. We come from the same home, from the same family. You may ask, well, what's with the converts? Well, the converts are like adopted children that become real children of that family. That's who we truly are. And this is how we can begin to achieve Jewish unity. Because if, I, if our perception on Jews is that they are culturally different and therefore not the same. If they are religiously different and therefore they're part of a different group, they're unbridgeable. They will never achieve unity. But if I see you and I see me as part of the same family, same blood, then unity can begin to emerge. In the words of the Talmud, the Jerusalem Talmud has quite an astonishing expression about this, this type of Jewish unity. And it asks the question, if I am slicing, say, a piece of meat with my right hand, and unfortunately, I'm a little uh, shlei muzzle, as they call it, and my right hand cuts my left hand. And my left hand starts to bleed. What should my left hand do? Should it take its revenge on the right hand? Should we start cutting the right hand too? Because, ah, oh, the right hand caused this harm. You recognize that you come from one body, from one family. You don't do those stupid reactions. You react like one family. Now, may I suggest just two more steps if I have some time to really achieve that unity, but again, from that fundamental perception of Jews. Number one, I would say what is important is that we make the important important and the trivial trivial. Again, my beloved rabbi would say that the difference between a fool and a wise man is that the fool makes the trivial important and the important trivial. The wise man makes the important important and the trivial trivial. What is important for us Jews 
Well, I agree with many of the suggestions that you said. Learning Hebrew, for example, is absolutely important. Relating to each other as, as family members is really important. Recognizing that there are differences, that maybe the goal should not be unity, but should be harmony, almost like a symphony, where I'll let the violin be a violin, I'll be the piano, and someone else will be the, the drums. And then we can play together, recognizing that there's indeed beauty in diversity. What is trivial, I'll tell you what's most trivial in my eyes, and what is certainly an obstacle to Jewish unity, labels. Labels is terribly, terribly trivial. I think we have to welcome the day in which we as Jews move past the denominational labels that exist. Yes, including Orthodox or conservative. In my eyes, a Jew is a Jew. Just like a brother is a brother and a sister is a sister. Am I going to say that my sister is so-and-so or my brother is so-and-so? Is labeled this way? Well, labels are good for meatpacking. They're good for clothing, but they're not good for human beings. I would never label my children. I would never say to my child, you're a bad boy, as some people say. Why? You've boxed them. Stifled their growth. It's the same for us brothers and sisters. Enough of the labels. That to me is very trivial. I'm gone and on. But let me go to the next point. Next point, I believe, is that we also have to change our eyesight. What do I mean by that? that very often, we judge very quickly based on what we think we see. Yet really, what we see does not really reflect the real, the, the, the reality of what there is. And I'll give you a short example. I remember being 16 years old and learning this lesson very, very harsh. I was a young teenager in Israel, in Jerusalem, and I, I, I realized that the sun was setting on me, and I needed to pray the afternoon prayer, the mitzvah prayer, before it becomes dark. So I'm looking for a synagogue in the alleys of Jerusalem, and someone points me to a synagogue that I had never been to. I walk into this tiny little synagogue in a neighborhood called Nachlaot, and there I'm beginning my prayer, and all of a sudden, a man walks in with his four children. And these four children, in my eyes, are the most misbehaved children one can encounter. They started running around the synagogue, taking the, the sidur holders and banging them on the benches. And I'm saying to myself, gosh, couldn't he keep his children at home? And I'm judging this man. How terrible. Well, he can't educate these children. Little did I know how hard it was to educate children. I was just 16 years old. After I became a parent, I started understanding this man. But I was judging him throughout my prayer. Forget about concentrating, judging. And then at the very end of the prayer, the mincha prayer, this man tells his children, come, come, quickly. You have to say Kaddish for mom. And I just realized these four little boys had just lost their mothers. And I said to myself, gosh, I was judging them so harshly because I thought reality was the way I perceived it. How dare I? Very often we jump to conclusions on Jews specifically because we feel like they are family, even though we may not say it or recognize it. So we feel comfortable to jump to conclusions, not knowing the full picture. Been to too many funerals, to year eulogies that are glorious. And I always wonder at funerals, what happened to all the, all the crooks? Did they not die? Never been to a crook's funeral, at least the eulogies don't reflect that. But then I realized that when we die, no, the deceased do not change. 
They don't just become saints all of a sudden. You know who changes? We change. And our perspective, therefore, on the deceased changes. Then we start seeing the entirety of the human being. And then we find some very bright spots, even in those crooks. And we decide, unfortunately, only then that those are the bright spots that should define them. But my question is, we have to wait for someone to die to appreciate them? Do we really have to wait to meet tombstones in order to offer our love and our glorious adjectives and not say that to living human beings? That's yet another change that needs to happen. And to conclude, if I may, I'm reminded of the summer of 2014 in which three Israeli young boys were kidnapped. You may all remember this. And then found murdered in a field three weeks later. And I became very friendly, very, very close to the mother of one of those three boys, Rachelie Frankel, who actually was here in this room not too long ago, uh, shortly after that happened, in the um, beginning of 2015. And she had come to Scottsdale multiple times to visit our congregation too. One of the lines that she said was that, I know that there is that expression out there that there are two truths, three opinions. Well, I can tell you that when the nation of Israel came together to search for those boys, I saw something else. I saw that there were two truths, three opinions, but one heart. We went searching for, for our boys and we found ourselves. Friends, it's time indeed to find ourselves as family members, to make the important important and the trivial trivial, to move past the dominations or all sorts of, of paralyzing labels. And yes, to work on our eyesight a little more, to start seeing the good in people, not when they die, but when they're still alive with us. And then maybe we can finally achieve Jewish community. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Rabbi Elise. Now we hear from our friend, Rabbi John Linder from Temple Southern. So first of all, just an observation, uh, Rich Casper, you were um, offered uh, rabbinic ordination uh, and um, it did not seem like you were too keen to accept it. So that, that's, just, that's just an observation. So um, for all of my colleagues, uh, Rich, uh, Rabbi Elush, Rabbi Kokenstein, uh, you know, first of all, um, I, I want to um, echo a couple of things. Um, this institution, Jewish Community Center, reflects the unity of Phoenix, Scottsdale, uh, more than any institution. Uh, so, um, you know, echo that so much. Um, and, um, and I also, Rabbi Alush, love the, um, the idea of us as a family. Um, and um, and I and, and I think I'm going to offer at least the reality. Maybe it's only the Linder family uh, that every now and then is a little dysfunctional. Um, so um, I see a Venn diagram in terms of 
unity. A Venn diagram where you have circles, but there is a common circle uh, in the middle. And outside, actually, there are um, differences. Um, so I think that we can, so the overlap, the overlap in the middle, um, threats to our survival. And Rabbi Luce, the example you gave uh, in, 19, in 2014 um, is an example that we can all relate to. When we are threatened, um, and Rabbi Yankowitz, you started with this, when we're threatened, we come together. We come together not only as a people, um, but as a country as well. You know, think about 9-11. Uh, so, so that is, I think, the family, protecting the family, and is important. So that's in there. Threats. Shabbat, I would say, is in that common part of the Venn diagram. Holocaust survivors, in terms of our support for Holocaust survivors. Um, Israel, I am going to, um, and some might argue with it, that they're not all Jews, um, would see themselves as Zionists. I actually put that as a common area. Um, and then I would put Torah in the middle. So those are, uh, you know, some cases you might say that's low-hanging fruit, Rabbi, choosing those. Um, and actually, it'd be a beautiful thing to say that that's low-hanging fruit. Um, and then it's where it's challenging. And, um, and I'm, so I'm going to push the envelope. Um, in terms of Torah, um, love your neighbor as you love yourself. So the question within our respective communities, and I, and I say this lovingly and respectfully, we might see that differently than one another. Um, so who is your neighbor? And actually, Rabbi Yankowitz, you and Valley Bait Midrash a couple of years ago, um, uh, had a beautiful, beautiful shiur on who is our neighbor. And if our neighbor is um, within our physical neighborhood, uh, if our neighbor is our, um, our Jewish neighbor, um, how expansive can we be? I think, um, and, I, and I say this non-judgmentally, although there are differences within our community uh, in terms of how expansive. We are. Who is our who is our neighbor? Um, and and probably within our community, I would say, what's the most complicated issue that pushes the envelope of family? Um, is Ahavat Yisrael is a love for Israel. Um, I'm just going to use this as an example, and then step aside, and we'll have questions. Um, so um, I am. Uh, I am a patriotic American, and I think part of being a patriotic American um, is being respectfully and lovingly critical uh, to stand for the values of America. I see that as being a patriotic American. As a Jew, not living in Israel, but we just saw Israelis, you know, 80,000 Israelis, um, in the streets, um, resisting uh, what they feel doesn't represent the best of Israel. Um, so how do we do that 
as American Jews. I think this is, um, and, and do it within, you know, I'm Yisrael within the people of Israel. How do we do it? How do we hear one another respectfully? And, um, and that is, I think, probably the, um, in terms of my voice in the community, to be able to have a conversation uh, around that, I think, is really, really important for us in terms of um, in terms of listening to one another, because it's not about uh, a monolithic opinion of how we can love Israel, but how can we listen to one another uh, without demonizing somebody that uh, you know might have a different perspective than someone else from the right to the left and the left to the right. Um, so um, I'm gonna I'm gonna leave it at that for now and um, we'll see where it goes. Thank you all so much for those wonderful contributions. We're gonna have much to talk about. In my second question, I'll, I'll invite longer answers, but in my first, I'm hoping for relatively short ones. And just to bring in a little Torah to, um, to lead into the question, one might say that the beginning of the whole Torah is actually looking at this issue of diversity versus unity. That the story before the flood is actually a, a story where um, everyone does whatever they please. There's no unity at all. Um, that it's basically anarchy and thus the flood due to the violence and due to the, the, uh, the radical diversity that has no unity at all. And God rejects that. And then one might say the story right after that, the Tower of Babel, is the exact opposite. It is, it is too much unity, and God rejects it and scatters, destroys this tower and scatters the people into 70 languages um, because God doesn't want unity or this anarchy, radical diversity. But a different read of the Tower of Babel story could be that it's not that God doesn't want unity, but you have unity and all you can do is build a tower. That's the most noble thing you could do with your unity. So my question to you is, let's say we were building a tower today. Let's say actually God does want unity, just not that right? What would the most noble pursuit be for Jews to unite around today, for us to build together? Even if it's so I, I actually think that we've got the beginning uh, of that in the Phoenix Jewish community. Uh, and, uh, and, and first of all, um, Rich Casper, the Center for Jewish Philanthropy, is, is in a position, does so right now, is in a position to support what I think is, uh, what's, a healthy, uh, what's a healthy Tower of Babel? A healthy Tower of Babel, I think, is um, encouraging uh, communities that experience the breadth of Judaism in different ways. Um, so, um, and, and it's reflected on this panel, uh, but it's not just about um, synagogue life. There are wonderful opportunities to live a rich Jewish life in greater Phoenix. And how can we as a community together um, support one another? It may be that you know, one congregation is, you want a Hebrew immersion experience? Go to Bethel. 
Uh, and, and, and that each congregation, because I think that it is true that each one of us is different in our own way. That's a beautiful thing. When somebody going, somebody new to the community um, comes and wants to know about Temple Solel, I'm delighted that they've come to Temple Solel. And I will say, um, there are lots of synagogues for you to check out. Each is different and you'll find one that resonates with you. And how can we support that um, as a community, support everybody's success and uh, non-judgment? So we can come back if anyone else wants to weigh in on it. We can come back if anyone else wants to weigh in on that one. The, the second thing I want to ask is, um, you know, uh, we know that every year since 1967, American Jews become less committed to Israel. Every year since 67. And there's a generational divide happening there as well. But equally uh, challenging is that the two uh, uh, motifs of, of mid-20th century that united Jews more than anything now divide Jews more than anything, perhaps. And that was our great trauma and our great glory. The, the, the trauma of the Holocaust and the glory of the founding of the State of Israel. Those were uniting forces in the 60s and the 70s. And today they divide us more than anything else. And so, um, and the Holocaust, for example, has been politicized. Um, some want to make it purely about universalism, um, and some want to make it about hawkism um, around, around defense. And those two um, ideologies continue to butt heads. And so too on, on Israel and the divides that we see, as you mentioned, Rabbi Linder, playing out in the streets right now. And so is that just okay? Um, again, because we don't need unity, and that's the sign of a healthy community that we're divided so deeply on those? Or is that a problem we need to address? And if so, how? All right. So... But uh, Israel, um, obviously, you look at me, I'm born well after the establishment of the state of Israel. So I can't even fathom how it must have been to be Jewish without the reality of the state of Israel. It's there. And that alone, as a Jew, I need to find a position. I need to face it. Even if I maybe would face the other way and say, I'm so annoyed about all the politics that are going on there, but I need to grapple with it. And that's where, you know, Jacob comes to mind, wrestling at the, in that border space, coming back from Haran, wrestling the whole night. But he doesn't let go until he will be blessed. So, I think one of the things with Israel, no matter how we come out and no matter where we politically position ourselves or religiously position ourselves, as a Jew, I need to educate myself and struggle and, um, and find um, an answer to where Israel is in my life. And I think over that, I think we need to respectfully have uh, respectfully and with dignity be able to talk to each other and not just walk away or judge or like, you know, but really, really engage. And it, it can be painful. 
because nowadays I don't know if the people who convert with me will in 10 years be able to make Aliyah, right? So far it was always okay. So so what kind, so where are we? This is these are hard conversations, but I think every Jew needs to have it in in their heart to find where they stand. So so I first of all I agree with everything you said and the Shakar. Um I, I would also just suggest that you know we often categorize Israel or other topics in one way or another as um, because we believe that those topics are mon monopolized by others. I don't think Israel is monopolized by anyone. I think Israel is the home of the Jewish people and therefore it belongs to every Jew. Bibi Netanyahu or Yair Lapid do not have a monopoly on Israel. I think it's true regarding every Jewish topic, every Jewish idea. We have to, to divorce the politicians or the politics from the home. The home is ours. And therefore, I agree that everyone should find somewhat of a connection to Israel in their own way. Because let us not forget really what Israel is. Maybe the, the source of the problem is that we forget what Israel is. And, um, and, and we start delegating the, the, the ownership of Israel, so to speak, to others. And therefore, uh, that too needs to be rewired. There, there is a social trend growing in American culture, which we're all very, very aware of, of growing distrust. Distrust on so many levels. And the distrust emerges into an us-them mentality, right? Of binaries, of who is in and who is out. There's the baxers and the anti-baxers. There's the MAGA and the anti-MAGA. There's the woke and the anti-woke. There's the pro-critical race theory and the anti, right? The pro-Israel and the anti-Israel. It's a binary, and I think it goes even further than labels. In addition to labeling, it is, um, it is an us-them mentality. And that is, of course, amplified and reinforced by media and all the more so by social media. So if that is true, if you agree this is an issue, an issue of distrust, distrust of government, distrust of experts, distrust of people not in our ideological camp, how do we as a Jewish community take steps to rebuild trust with Well, I mean, the obvious, um, but it can't be stated enough, is actually how we listen to one another. Um, and um, and um, so, so, so that, that is a starting place. And, and, and actually, you know, as much as the watchword of our faith is the Shema, the um, and I'll raise my hand first. Uh, how I am able to listen to someone else without already forming my own opinion. Um, so that itself is a, is a starting place. And, and, and then it, to break down the binary um, is to find um, common ground. It's not like I'm in love with the Venn diagram, but I think it is helpful that as we listen to one another, um, is there a, uh, because you might think that there's no agreement on, on Israel. And on one hand, respectfully, Rabbi Lush, um, it's not about Lapid or Netanyahu. 
Um, but it is, and and it's not about who is the uh, you know, who's the speaker of the house. Yet who those people are has an impact on the country. And just talking about Israel, and it actually there's an irony in uh, the name Achad Ha'am. Uh, Tzvi, what was uh, his uh, origin of name? Ukrainian Jew who ended up uh, um, moving to Israel. Echad Ha'am chose the name one people, uh, but saw Israel as a spiritual center for Jews around the world. So Rabbi Yankowitz, as you're talking about this binary today and, uh, and a turnaround of support for, to imagine, uh, um, the numbers decreasing for a for support for the state of Israel. Well, if it's no longer about you know we need to rally around the defense of Israel. Well, Israel actually can defend itself pretty well. That's not the issue for American Jews uh, as much as it was in 1948 and 67 and 73. Um, so, well, how do we then? Uh, look at Israel as a spiritual home. And I think everybody on this panel um, sees it as that. Um, but I think to acknowledge that is, uh, is, is important in terms of this conversation. I'm going to come from a different angle. Uh, how do we rebuild trust? We need to celebrate together. We need to live together. We just need to like play this soccer game together, you know? Um, sort of those things that can unite us to, or to give us that trust of being in a family. Why not try there, start there? Yeah, I mean, at the risk of piling on, I think the answer is, I mean, you have to start from a position of trust. <laughs> You, you just have to, you have to impose that on yourself and assume good intent, even when you feel like it's not there. Um, and, you know, it, it's, it's very easy not to trust or to demonize people and ideas that you're not familiar with. The key is, is to break that down and to, and to get that familiarity, whether it's through celebrating together or eating together or just having a meaningful conversation where, as Rabbi Linder said, you, you actually listen without formulating your response before the other person has finished. Um, I mean, it, it oversimplifies a very complicated question. Um, I'm not sure, I'm not sure this community is going to solve that problem. If we're talking about the community that we live in versus the worldwide Jewish community, it's a very different, it's a very different question. And, and it has to be a very different response. Look, I, I think I addressed your question in my remarks that we're a family and we have to make the important important and we have to open up our eyes and see the good in everyone. So that's how you bridge the us and the them and hopefully turn the us and the them into an us only. I will add one more thing and that is in relations to the state of Israel or to, to the land of Israel. I, I, I I think that we sometimes just get caught up on the politics, no matter what they are, of Israel or on other issues of Israel. And we forget 
that there is a much deeper, more profound connection of every Jew to this home of ours. I've often said my great-great-grandfather came from Constantine, Algeria in 1891 to Israel by foot. Why? Because his entire life he yearned to move to Israel. When he moved to Israel, the Ottoman Empire was banning Jews from Jerusalem, was impoverishing Jews, not giving them jobs. Did that stop him from yearning for Israel? Did that stop him from moving to Israel after a dangerous journey by foot? No, because he understood that a connection to Israel goes way beyond who's in charge politically. It's a soulful connection. For a family, Israel is our home. Friends, we want to hear from you. Um, we, um, I know there's friends, if you're on Zoom, we hope you'll chat your questions and they will get texted to me. And um, Eddie, is this the mic I'm using for uh, out there? No, it's another mic. Okay, so um, I'm going to come out to the field. Thank you. Tremendous panel, excellent advice, great insights. I'm going to start out by saying I have personal relationships with three of the five people sitting up there. So this is not addressed to or uh, as opposed or opposed to anybody. But I want to take off on something that Rich Casper said. And I think you spotted it, Rich. We can't solve the worldwide problems. We can't solve the national problems. We need to solve the greater Phoenix area problems. In my opinion, we need to find one or two things that we all agree upon. I think we can all agree we love our children. We all, you know, those of us who have grandchildren, we all agree we love our grandchildren. How do we take that basic theme, that basic love that exists today, use that as the foundation for uniting our community? Uh, was that a, just just to clarify? Was that a question for anyone specific? No. So I I I fully agree that we need to focus on Phoenix community. Um, I'm gonna. I'm not running away from the question. I'm gonna relate to it. But you reminded me of what the Kotzke Rebbe of Emlachem Mendel Morgenstern would often say. And when he was small, when he was young, he wanted to change the world. And then he realized that wasn't possible, so he wanted to change his country. Then he realized that wasn't possible, so he wanted to change his city. He realized that wasn't possible, he wanted to change his street. He realized that wasn't, he wanted to change his home. He realized he, that wasn't possible. He said to himself, okay, the only person I can really change is myself. So I think that you're right. It starts from within. And, and even before we go to the Phoenix community, it starts with each and every one of us with it. And I think that we need to be at peace with one another, with, with ourselves and with one another, starting with our families. That I think is one idea. And I'm not speaking about the whole Phoenix community, but I think that if everyone like my beloved rabbi again would say, if I can master myself, I'll be able to master the world. I can't master myself. If I can't have peace within myself, I won't be able to have peace within my community. So that, that is an important idea. Another idea is that I'm open to every suggestion, but I do think that what unites us is much greater than what divides us, not to use that cliche again. But we have to find those things that indeed unite us. And let's propose suggestion. I'm, I'm all for proposing suggestions, practical suggestions, even, even tonight. But I'm, I'm, I'm widely open to this idea. I want to add, I think I, I spoke about Jewish education before. I think um, that's a big part of it, the love of our children, the building of the next generation. And it starts even just by empowering 
Jewish parents, young Jewish parents, or young Jewish people um, to own to own their own Jewish identity and to empower them to do Jewish and celebrate Jewish, to empower interfaith families to raise Jewish children or raise, you know, so they they bring them into the fold and and make uh, and make bring the education to the people. No, no, you know, then we can discuss how this is gonna look like. I had a few suggestions there, but you know, it might be different of what's what is able, what we could achieve. But there, there I think, you know, something like the Center of Jewish Philanthropy, the JCC could be spearheading for it, as well as the local synagogue. I mean, I would um, raise up um, Howard as an example, uh, what Rabbi Alana Cantor is doing with the women's leadership. Um, it is not based on, you know, what's, uh, I actually, I don't even think it's based on synagogue affiliation, um, although, you know, it, it you know, no. so that um, creating Jewish leaders, these happen to be women, which I think is a good thing, uh, around learning, around Jewish texts and Jewish values. And then um, you'll make a contribution to not only the Jewish community, but the, but the greater community, which is a good thing for the Jewish people. Um, so, so that's just how to take that as an idea and um, you know, replicate the model in different ways, um, I think is worth spending some, some time on. I guess what I would say is if you're talking about the community and you're using the analogy of your family, your children, then you'd have to ask yourself the same questions you would ask about your own children or your grandchildren. What do they need? Right? What do they need to, to thrive, to be successful, to be happy? And, and then we have to make some plans and provide it. And so, you know, I was listening when, when Rabbi Steinkogen gave her opening uh, to some extent, I felt a little bit like she had had my office bugged <laughs> because some of the things that she was talking about are the things that we talk about. Um, specifically, although we haven't said anything about building a Jewish community center on the west side, but one of the things that we talk about is there's a little bit more of a Jewish desert out there than there is here. Uh, and what I mean by that is there's left, there are plenty of Jewish people out there, but there's not as much Jewish content. There's not, we have not as a community come together and offered the Jewish community of the West Valley everything that they need to be happy, to thrive, and to be a meaningful community. I think we could do that. It requires planning and resources, but it's not impossible. Um, and, you know, another point that, that she made was about uh, developing um, literate Jews for leadership in our community. And that's another problem that we do talk about. I'm not ready to talk about the solutions that we're thinking about, but, uh, but I think those are the things that we need to do. It, it really requires looking around our community, being serious about it, figuring out what is needed to, to, for it to thrive and to be happy and, um, and to accomplish the goals that we have, whether it's for the community or if you wanna look at them as your children. It's, I think it's really all the same thing. Yes, I hear um, thank you. It's a very interesting um, panel discussion. 
I'm going to go back to the idea of Israel and how do you relate to Israel? And I'm going to be talking from the perspective of my family. I grew up in Israel, um, so I know it very well. Um, I have a gay son who has family that um, they have adopted a daughter. He's not going to be accepted in the current state of Israel. And how do I relate to that? And yes, I look at Israel as my home. I was born in Poland, and somebody said to me, do you want to go on a route trip to Poland? And I said, I don't have any roots in Poland. Poland is not where, even though I was born there. My roots are in Israel and in my Jewish identity and in my Jewish community. But I'm not accepted there, not myself personally, but my family is. How do you relate to that? How do you even feel like this is my home where I can't go back home because it's not accepting my family? Thank you. Therefore, that kind of goes around the, we don't want to talk about politics, but politics are some of the things that are dividing us because it exists in every place. You're not accepted. You know, you can't talk about the Indian schools in some places. You can't talk about the slavery that was in some places. And you can't talk about all these things. How do you move from there? Where do you develop the trust? Great. So for those on the Zoom, the question at the end, I think, was that politics divides us. But how can we possibly avoid uh, the, these political issues? Yeah. So, well, I'm sorry, what was your name? Hannah. Hannah. Um, you know, so first of all, I think it's an important question that you're asking. Um, and of course, it's complicated for reasons that I can understand if you're David Ben-Gurion and it's 1948 and the um, Arab countries around um, are you know, going to war. Um, you have to make decisions. What is going to, in that moment, unify you? Uh, and, and, and Ben Gurion uh, decided, and to this day, it's referred to as the status quo in terms of the Orthodox rabbis controlling decisions of religion in Israel. Um, and, um, and this is, and I say this um, respectfully, um, but critically, um, this is a major problem in Israel today, who is not, not only uh, in terms of who's a Jew, conversion in Israel, um, but the LGBTQ community in terms of rights. I mean, there are fabulous nonprofit organizations in Israel, as there are in America, fighting for LGBTQ rights. Uh, but uh, so, so I think... Um, that is a mountain of an issue, um, but it is, um, but it is a, it is the stumbling block, I would say. And this is available to anybody. First of all, just to, to clarify, um, you know, the, the Orthodox, you said Orthodox rabbis, some Orthodox rabbis are not accepted by some Orthodox rabbis. So, so... <laughs> <laughs> maybe even two, but um, so just to clarify, I know that there is there is a beautiful initiative. I'm very very good friends with Rabbi Stav. If anyone has heard of him, Rabbi David Stav, who's the head of the Sohar Rabbis, not recognized by uh, the chief rabbinate who, who is trying to change things. 
so far a little bit successfully, uh, Baruch Hashem, thank God. So I just want to clarify that. I do want to say this, though, and I'm, I'm not trying to equate the two situations, and I know it's very tough, and I, and I empathize with you deeply, Hannah, and to me, it's a travesty that Israel is relating to the, the gay community as it is at this state. Uh, but maybe to add a little slice of comfort, I have a French passport. Until today, I, mean, I was born in France. I have family in France. And I go back to France from time to time. But when I come, go back to France, I feel very much unwelcome. As a Jew wearing a yarmulke, it's very hard to walk the streets of France, specifically particular neighborhoods that I did like, that I did love when growing up in France. Does that mean that I will revoke my French passport? Does that mean that I will consider myself less French than any other French citizen walking the streets of Paris? No, because my connection with France is deeper than that. And I would even dare say that again, my connection with Israel is even deeper than that. So hopefully that brings a perspective that can give you a slice of comfort. I want to um, also refer to what you said earlier, Rabbi Alush, you said um, Israel belongs to every Jew, right? And not letting people delegate the decisions away from us. I mean, this is, I think this is where we need to keep knocking at the door, even from here, from across the Atlantic, to say there's something big amiss. Um, be it, be it with with the gay community, be it with the pluralistic and liberal streams of Judaism. You know, how many times is the Torah spat on at the Kotel when, when, when liberal Jews try to pray or when the women of the wall try to pray, right? It's not okay. And so I think uh, it's tough, but you know, we are sabras in a sense, we are tough and we can keep knocking at the door and say, and point out these things and we need to, here, we need to be a voice for that too, to not let people, other people take over what belongs to all of us. First, I want to thank the panel for participating tonight. All of you were just terrific, and we're very glad to have you here. I want to address the local community. We're not going to solve what's going on in Israel, and we can argue about it, but that's about all we can do. But locally, I think about three different issues that strike me. The first one is, uh, when we relocated to Arizona a long time before you guys were here, we had a community board of rabbis. We don't have that anymore because the Orthodox community doesn't want to participate. That's a problem in Rabbi Lush. You, you're saying no labels. Let's get rid of those labels. And rabbis can sit down together and recognize each other, study together, and talk and discuss the issues that confront all of us. Number two, I was at the JCC Gala this year. And that and the it seems like if you're kosher, go on this side. If you're not kosher, go on that side. That's not Jewish unity. The Jewish function should be kosher. I might not be kosher, it doesn't matter. But that function should be strictly kosher, period. And the third one is, we can't even seem to get a community high school together. I know they hired somebody. We can't even get any students. So uh, those are three, three problems that I'd like you guys to address if you could. And again, thank you. So um, re regarding point number one, the Board of Rabbis and the Orthodox Rabbinic Council. First of all, I'm happy to hear that invitation was made. I wasn't aware that invitation was made. I do know 
that there are strong differences and strong personalities on both sides. Uh, I am of the opinion that we should be working together, if not on the things that we disagree, on the things that we do agree on. And I, I hope for the day in which we will be able to indeed work together. That's number one. I think there are many, many issues we can be working together on. And it's time, as Herb Brooks put it, remember the, the hockey coach in 1980, it's time to, to adopt his perspective that the name on our back is much less important than the name of the, sorry, the name, how does it go? Anyone, please? That name should be more important than what divides us. Anyway, that's number one. Number two, I fully agree with you. I think that we should strive to be as expansive as possible. And therefore, yes, all events should be kosher. Then we're excluding some of the people who do keep kosher. So I, I fully agree with that. Number three, regarding the high schools, I'm personally involved with the Nishmat Hadin High School, which is very much operating and, and thank God, very successful. I, I do believe that it's a community-wide high school. We have children from public schools and from Pardes and from uh, the Hebrew Academy and from all sorts of quote-unquote denominations. And uh, I, I think that, uh, you know, the school that, that has been in works for a while now, the other school that hasn't been yet operating has a lot in common with us. And we've had many talks and uh, uh, we... We, we've gone very far into the process. There is one thing that unfortunately is, it has nothing to do with, with Jewishness, with Judaism, um, that is blocking us a little bit. I hope we can overcome that. Uh, but I fully agree with you. I think, I think we need one high school, and I've said that from the get-go, that speaks to the entire community. Our high school right now does that, does speak to the whole community. I know there are many rumors about that, but uh, again, the, the proof is in the pudding. Go watch, go see it for yourselves. Uh, and hopefully we'll be able to, to bridge with uh, the other school and create this, this beautiful merger. I have to slightly disagree, <laughs> respectfully. Um, I was wondering when I was talking about um, Jewish education, if I should mention the high school, because I do think um, we do need a community high school because as a... Um, I know she'll have it, and Nishma Zadin is... No, not anymore. Anyway, but it is a modern, if I understand correctly, it is a modern Orthodox. No? So can we... Can All right, so my question here would just be, is it a place where any denomination, Jewish girls can make a minion and read Torah if they want to, or even a co-ed Jewish boys and girls together. Because those are one of the things that for me is important why I also like Pardes as a, as a community school that every denomination religiously is represented and gets their stake. So, so I, I don't know if we meant this to be a high school uh, discussion, <laughs> but I, I will relate to this point. Because it's a community high school, we've made a conscious decision not to involve ourselves in the points that are divisive. And therefore, there won't be prayer period as part of the school. And therefore, there won't be other things also period as part of the school because they are divisive. We're only focusing on that which unites us. Um, so, so here out of, out of the three, uh, I think we can deliver, uh, deliver something tonight uh, because we, we've, got the, we've got the players here. So uh, for the board of rabbis, um, we can start with uh, once 
let's let's start with a gathering once a year where we to Rabbi Stein Koken's point, let's 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 break bread, let's celebrate. And um and, and I think the um uh, and build relationships, get to know each other. That so um Rabbi Alush, I ask you, we're on film right now. Um, is that something that you would bring to, uh, um, I'll bring it, I actually have a big position on the Board of Rabbis. I'm on the executive committee. So so this is, so I can bring this to them. Um, could you bring it, could you bring it to your folks? <laughs> Absolutely. I'll be more than happy to bring it to my folks. Um, I will say on both sides, as mentioned before, there are very strong personalities, as you know. And But I will bring it. I will do my best. And if it means that it will only be your humble servant showing up, then that will be the case. But that's a good already. Right. First of all, I just want to say thank you to everyone and to Rabbi Shmuley and to the JCC for having this incredible event. First thing, to go to your comments. Um, as someone who does identify as gay. Um, I think there are a few nuances to understand and that I think most of us, because there's a broad expanse of many individuals in the queer community who do identify as orthodox. I think there, it's important to understand that we do understand that there's the verse that we all know in Leviticus. We also understand that Orthodox rabbis have a have an obligation to hold to halacha. We understand that. We're not asking them to change halacha, anything like that. And so I think it's important for people to understand that Rabbis of different communities come from different places, but ultimately going back to the fact that everything centers around Torah. So it brings us together. That we're all, you know, halakha is extremely important. And so to that point, I think it's important for people to know what communities are safe to be, you know, to, to go to. Um, I don't know if that made any sense. I was a little nervous saying that. <laughs> the actual question that I have is, as someone who does not present as either Sephardic or Ashkenazi, my experience has been walking into Jewish spaces that everyone's head turns, not usually throughout the, my time in that space, I get asked, where are you from? No, 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 no. You're not from Nevada. Where are you really from? My question is, how can we get to a place where people understand that, as Rabbi Lushi put it so beautifully, there are many different types of Jews. We all don't look the same. Many of us grew up different places, have different things like me. But how can we get to a place where people understand the nuances in the Jewish community? 
Great, thank you for that question, Nick. And I wanna hold Nick's great question. And I actually wanna take a few more questions in the room. And then what I'm gonna um, do is give each panelist uh, a closing response, either in response to one or two of the questions or whatever else they wanna close on. Okay, so thank you so much. Let's, let's hear a few more voices, thank you. Um, so I'm, I'm, an, uh, I'm an old Jewish horse, and I've lived and worked and led in a number of communities around the world, and therefore, I hope you don't mind if I take a liberty of saying, I'm very sorry, great panel, but I think we're asking the wrong question. Because you know, I don't think unity is the problem. I think what unites us is that we all agree we're part of Israel, we're part of the Jewish people. And in that we united, and we're all very different. So we united now very first. Um, however, that's fine. And we're very different. This is one big stable with so many different organizations and 30 odd shores, and we're very different. And that and that's fine in our differences. But where we really fall short is engagement. Now, this is an amazing Jewish community. It's the fastest Jewish community in America that some of us don't realize it. But it is, we don't even know how many of the outreach, you know, we need to do another demographic survey. Um, are there 120,000? Are there 160,000 Jews in the greater Phoenix area? It is the fastest growing Jewish community. But sadly, like many other growth Jewish communities across America, their rate of affiliation or engagement is abysmally low. We, again, we don't know exactly how many, but probably less than a quarter of Jews living in Phoenix. Go to any of your shuls, any of your organizations. Now, there are loads of organizations, and I can say, being here now for a number of years, coming backwards and forwards, there's this myriad of Jewish organizations, the one of the and Limud, and Rabbi Elana, and the Arizona Jewish Historic Society, and ASU, in addition to what the Federation does, as a student. It's wonderful. But who turns up? I mean, look. This is such an important existential question. There are only 100 people here out of 150,000 Jews. And this is true of many of the events that I've been to. The problem is not are we united, the problem is nobody's showing up. It's like the fifth son at the Seder. The fifth son is the one who doesn't show up at the Seder. So of course, we don't know what question he does. He doesn't show up. The majority of Jews aren't showing up. And that seems to be the question. There are, and Rich and I, we've had conversations about it, there are thousands of Jews showing up every year in, in the greater Phoenix area. We have to reach out to them. All of us, we open on all organizations, all our schools to reach out to them. Um, whether we reach out to newcomers, we reach out to kids in preschool or teens or dugouts, we have to reach out to them. We, that is what should unite us. Together, we should find out how to find all those Jews and bring them into whatever form of Jewish activity. Thank you. Thank you so much. Okay, let's take one or two more. I see uh, in a green coat here, yes? And then uh, David back here. Oh, and one here. Okay, let's take those three. Then. Okay, um, so my name is Angelina Belakowska, and um, first I would really like to thank you for very interesting discussion. I find it fascinating and this uh, important because there are a lot of questions uh, and uh, it's interesting to, to hear the answers. Uh, now, my question I have uh, and kind of, I can relate, you know, like I can understand, you know, like uh, your situation. Um, however, you know, like I want to say, you know, like we had this discussion about, you know, like we, uh, the whole um, society is very, very divided on many different topics. And 
while you know, like in your case, we are talking about acceptance. So there is also, you know, like as we know, we well know, you know, like what's happening right now in society. There is grooming, there is pushing of kids, there is sexual education starting from kindergarten or the preschool. Uh, so uh, we, you know, um, so our like I'm from USSR, from former USSR, um, uh, from Ukraine, and from, you know, like my my way in Judaism went from atheist to uh, reform to uh, conservative to modern orthodox. Uh, so. Rabbi Anush is uh, our uh, rabbi, but the question is, you know, like I also, I have seen the rabbis who kind of like follow, you know, like mo modern wokeyism who are uh, pro-abortion, who are pro a lot of, you know, like different sense, you know, like where it might be not acceptable to some uh, and, uh, so it's not even just a question of acceptable, it's more the question you can accept it, but it has to be not enforced on you as a lifestyle. Uh, and the question is like, do you have, like we're talking about unity, but where is that unity gonna dilute your belief, your desires, your style of, like way of life, how you feel you want it for, we're talking about the family, how you want, you want it for yourself, for your kids, for your grandkids, for the family. And so where is a red line where rabbi should not cross, you know, like, so how do we unite without destroying? So let's take these last two over here. Oh, great. Yeah. Um, my question was triggered by Rabbi Lucian's intro. Um, but so the question would be, we have um, like obligations to the dead and we're told that, you know, in prayers we say that Hashem is powerful to save, he's alive and resurrect the dead. Um, so if you were to change the scope of your idea of unity to be the living and the dead, would you put Israel more front and center? Would you put Torah and the Mitzvot more front and center or just like goodness and kindness to each other. Thank you. Um, I think the thing that I love about Judaism is to question is to be Jewish. And I know it's been set up there as well. Um, and I think, I, I don't know if I've ever been to a Jewish gathering where it hasn't boiled down to religion politics at some point. Um, and I love that. And I think that's healthy. And I think that Jews are a religion where, hey, we can question, and through questioning comes understanding. And so I think that my main concern and people I talk to whose main concern that are Jewish is more domestically the anti-Semitism that I think exists and is prevalent. And so uh, Rabbi, you brought up, Rabbi Linder brought up the Venn diagram, right? So I do think, how do we encourage those conversations, I think, outside of the Jewish community, where we still have a united front on what innately makes us Jewish, and we're representing that to people that have never had interactions with Jews, because not being from here originally, there are, I feel more as a minority here than I felt in other places. So I'd love to hear how we can continue to grow that Venn diagram, find that middle commonality, that we can express that outward and combat some of the, 
the hate that we even experience in the valley. Just interesting to note, I think that was the first time that the phrase anti-Semitism was even used in prayer, which is very, which is very interesting and uh, different than what I thought. Man. Again, I'd like to express my gratitude to the panel for having the courage to come tonight and grapple with a very difficult subject. Thank you very much for that. This is a question for Rabbi Belush. So many thoughtful things have been said by everyone. We've drilled down, even in defining the word unity and taking that apart a little bit, maybe we mean harmony. It doesn't mean sameness. And, and we drilled down a little bit. We drilled down on, on, on the concept that we can maybe find a couple of things that we all agree on and build on those. That Howard talked about in his very first comment, love for our children, our grandchildren, getting together and breaking bread together and doing something with the West Side. Uh, family. Uh, what do our family members need? That brings us down to some level of granularity uh, where we can begin to take some action. So some lower level of granularity, some not so low, but it moves us, I think, in the right direction. Rabbi Elusha's uh, quotation about making the important important and the trivial trivial I think has a great deal of wisdom, but it's very difficult to get down to a level of granularity on that. And so, for example, I think a number of things, but I'm just going to talk about Zlatka, not even talk. But the question is how, for some people, Zlatka is extremely important. And for some, I'm not going to call it trivial, but it is significantly less important. And how do you apply the concept of making the important important and the trivial trivial on such a pervasive and grand Jewish issue of Alaska. Thank you. So, Rabbi, I should just pause this question. question. One Sorry. last question. Can I ask one last question? Um, and I'll be very quick. How can we make Jewish life more economically accessible to young families? My question is, how can we make Jewish life more economically accessible to young families? And unfortunately, that's going to be the last of question. <laughs> So we understand if anyone does need to leave and we do honor people's time, but given the complexity of this issue, we wanted more voices in the room and we do want to give the, the speakers the impossible task of a closing minute or two um, to, uh, you know, share what they want to respond to, to, to wrap up. So um, if anyone wants to volunteer to go first, you're welcome. Good, brother. So, so uh, first of all, for the last question, um, I, I, I do think that, um, uh, we're blessed with the organization of the Center for Jewish Philanthropy for us to be partners with them um, to find out how we can take that financial barrier away. So that's um, so we're, we're blessed that that's a conversation we can have. Um, uh, Nick, I think um, in terms of, um, you know, 
You don't look Jewish. Uh, that's, that's an education issue for all of us. Um, um, what are, um, in terms of where are the Jews, the unaffiliated, um, that's, that's also on us. If we make Judaism relevant and joyful and meaningful in our life, um, then those Jews will come into Jewish life. And it doesn't even necessarily mean that that is a synagogue. Not that, you know, I'm discouraging people from joining synagogues. Uh, but Jewish life can be reflected in many, many different ways. Um, I, uh, in terms of the, uh, the nature of political issues that are divisive, um, we should celebrate that we're in a democracy and we can talk about issues connected to Jewish values and do it in a nonpartisan way. Um, in terms of the, uh, the essence of Judaism, um, if we focus on seeing the divinity of every human being, what does that look like in terms of how we treat people? And, uh, and, and um, outreach to, um, in terms of the community, uh, we don't live in a silo. In our best interest is to develop relationships with allies outside of the Jewish community. Uh, and finally, uh, David Lieberman, uh, halacha, I think if we more generally look at it as what is, um, what's the way that reflects our Judaism? I mean, the word uh, halacha comes from um, the, the way that you live your life. I think we can look at that more expansively and connected to Jewish values. To follow on, there's so many different questions. Um, when you asked about the center, um, a song came to mind. Olam Chesed Olam Chesed Right? The world is built on Chesed, on kindness. And so from there, I really think a lot of these questions come out. The Chesed, the kindness of acknowledging the Jews of color and Jews who don't look like the Ashkenazi <laughs> average or the Sephardi. Um, we, we have we have a lot in our community um, and to acknowledge and have these voices heard is, is for me at least at Beth El a big part of my rabbinate. Um, and, uh, and it leads me, the Olam Chesed Yibaneh leads me also in a different way, practically, you know, yes, young families, accessibility, going back into the communities and um, make Jewish education affordable, right, is, is absolutely crucial. Olam chesed um, to you, may you be holy, the sacred um, relationships. When you find um, the partner of your life or your heart's desire that it doesn't matter if it's if it's uh, heterosexual or same sex or whatever we, we have with the LGBTQ community. I, as a conservative Jew, I also have a halachic answer. So I want to just point out, as conservative Jews, we we commit ourselves as a people to halacha. So so just to like a side note on 
having halakha just being framed orthodox versus liberal Judaism, um, we have we commit ourselves to find a halakhic solution too, and the conservative movement in that regard has found answers. It's a different halakha uh, in some regards, but it, it's based on halakhic learning, and so right? The, the honor of my fellow um, human being, my fellow person who is created is an absolute high-ranking principle, which answers this question halakhically um, for the conservative movement. And also, I think anything else, where is the red line where we should not cross, comes also with quota briot. And that's a more personal thing as a woman. My red line is where I am, where I can't pray and be fully partnered um, as a prayer partner. That is where I would cross the, where I draw the line because it is important for me to be counted in a minion to be able to read Torah and lead services. But hey, we have everything. We have English and, and Hebrew mix. We have Hebrew. And also, I, I want to pray my prayer in Hebrew. But we have that all in our world. We have partnership minyanim, or the mechitza goes down the middle. If you want to sit separately, you have egalitarian, traditional, conservative prayer, right? So I think the prayer space is something where we go our different and diverse ways. But in the olama chesed, in the world of kindness, in Kvoda Briot, um, the honor of the other, the dignity of our fellow human being, that is something where we need to stand strong together. Right, I'll just add three quick points to this. I know the time is short. And number one, this first point will be illustrated by yet another story. The late Lubavitcher Rebbe, of Shniyasun of Blessed Memory, as many of you may know, would stand towards the end of his life for hours upon hours upon hours, every single Sunday, without a bathroom break, to bless Jews and give them a dollar for charity. Why, by the way? Because he said that there cannot be a situation in which two people meet and the third person doesn't benefit from it. And therefore, he didn't just bless them, he gave them a dollar for a third person to benefit from that meeting. But one day, an elderly woman came to him and said, I think, Rebbe, I am the same age as you are, 87 years old, 88 years old. I would never be able to stand for so many hours, sometimes eight hours, nine hours, without any interruption, and speak and bless Jews every single Sunday. Don't you get tired? And the Lubavitcher ever replied, when you count diamonds, you don't get tired. And I think that's point number one. We have to see each other as diamonds. You know, we live in a world in which we only see bodies, and we do not see souls. How I wish sometimes that that would be reversed, that we would see souls and not bodies. Our world would be quite different. Number two, relating particularly to your question, David, which is a very, very good question. Halakha, how do you reconcile the way of halakha with the way of Jews not necessarily following halakha? Well, I'll tell you how I reconcile it in my own home. I have 10 children and I've come to the realization that no child is alike to other. In the words of the Talmud, just like the faces are different, so too are their minds different. I have to come with the perspective that every single human being is different. Because they are different, 
they also have their own unique spiritual Jewish journey. My task is to meet them where they are and help them grow in the unique pathway that they find themselves in. That's what we do at CBT, by the way. And that's why we reach out to so many Jews. I invite anyone to come to CBT every Saturday and you'll see a house full of 250 Jews from thousands of different backgrounds because that is truly the philosophy that I believe is the Jewish philosophy. Yes, there's halakha, but not everyone is going to be halakha. So I'll meet you where you are and I'll help you grow in your own way. That's number two. Number three, I would dare add another idea that was not yet suggested tonight. When I used to fight with my brother as a young child, my mother's best remedy to that fight was to tell me and my brother, go and bring this to our neighbor. Go and visit this person He's not feeling well. She would give us what's called purpose. When we were empowered with a purpose, we all of a sudden stopped fighting. I think it's true with human beings. People who have emotional issues, sometimes it's medical, and have no word, no, no, no authority to say anything about the medical department. But sometimes people fall into somewhat of a non-clinical depression. And someone, sometimes people just are, are miserable and are bitter about everything. You know what the remedy is for that? Go and visit the sick. Go and do a favor to someone else. You know, you can become happy by doing happy. And I think it's time for us Jews to recognize that the Jewish people have a purpose in the world. We are called by the prophet as Goim, a light unto the nations for a reason. It's time that we face outward and indeed benefit the world with the light that we can provide. That's our purpose. And I think that's the best way to truly unite Jews, to stop fighting, just like my brother and I would stop fighting when we were given that purpose. Speaking of that, we're about to launch in our community a project called Community Kind, which is asking every single one of our members, and I invite every congregation, maybe that's the topic of our conversation when the Board of Rabbis and Orthodox Rabbinic Council will meet, please God, with as many of us as possible. But we are about to launch this project, and I'll give you a little scoop right now, in which we are asking every single one of our members not to be followers, but to be leaders. How so? We believe that you live where you live because God planted you there. Otherwise, he would have made you live somewhere else. And he planted you there to be his agent of goodness and kindness on that street. We are building social packages, spiritual packages, and Jewish packages for Jewish neighbors, for our members to knock on neighbors' doors and provide them goodness and kindness, create connections, and provide them with good deeds and kind deeds. All sorts of packages, we have a whole model built up. And this, I believe, will reach out to all those Jews that may be unaffiliated, and also, it will give us the sense of purpose that we so need in order to be united. I knew it was a mistake to go after Rabbi Lou. <laughs> um, it's not a secret that I'm the least qualified person on this panel to talk about Galatia, so I won't. But if we're going to talk about the original theme of, of the evening about unity, I, for me at least, I think in the last few questions that we got toward the end, there were two points and they were on either side, one to my left and one to my right. Um, Stan, you didn't frame it this way, that the question about the, when the JCC had its event and the kosher and the not kosher. Uh, first of all, I want to be clear, that wasn't my event. <laughs> People think it was, it was not. Uh, and, but I couldn't agree with you more. I thought it was a mistake. And, and, I, and I said so at the time because uh, what it did was it separated people. 
instead of bringing them together. Um, what I think it comes back to is just a matter of understanding one another and being respectful and creating a climate where people feel welcome and that they're not, not that their individual needs are being addressed, which you could say happened that night, um, but that it's being done in a way that everybody feels that they are on a level playing field and equal with everyone else in the room. Um, and the other point is on this side of the room engagement. Um, I think that's critical. But, I mean, what we're talking about, in, we're, we're framing it in terms of unity, but we're talking about building a community. And that doesn't happen without opportunities for people to connect to one another in a meaningful way as Jews. Um, whether they're connecting with our organizations or our synagogues, really, I think it's not the point. Um, it's whether they're connecting with one another and identifying with one another as Jewish people as part of the same community. I mean, I think to me, that really is where our focus needs to be um, and where we can have the greatest success. Friends, uh, friends, many Jews only want to stay in their own quarters and they should be blessed. They have the one agency they like, the one ideology they like, they should be blessed. But you all came out tonight with the humility to say that Judaism is more than us, more than just the area we like. We are a family, we are a community, and we are here to figure out how to respect each other, collaborate with each other, maybe even love each other. And I hope we can keep this dialogue going about how uh, this community can continue to grow collaboratively and with deep respect to be uh, deeper and broader and more loving than it has been in many ways. And it's gonna take all of us, and it's gonna take a lot of mito, such as humility and courage and um, boundary breaking. So thank you all for joining. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Valley Beit Midrash podcast. Remember that you can join our email list at valleybeitmidrash.org to stay up to date on new programs, learning opportunities, and more ways to stay connected. If you enjoyed learning with us today, support our work by making a donation at valleybeitmidrash.org slash donate. Join us next time as we continue to work together to build a better world. Thanks for listening.